More than half a million people around the world are stricken with multi or extensively drug-resistant tuberculosis every year. But only a fraction of these patients receive effective treatment for their disease. What are the keys to a successful treatment regimen, particularly in developing countries with fewer medical resources? You are listening to ReachMD XM157, the channel for medical professionals. Welcome to a special segment, Focus on Global Health. I am your host, Dr. Mark Nolan Hill, Professor of Surgery and Practicing General Surgeon, and our guest is Dr. Sonia Shin, Assistant Professor of Medicine at Harvard Medical School. Dr. Shin is a co-author of two research articles published in the journal Lancet and the New England Journal of Medicine documenting success in the treatment of multi- and extensively drug-resistant tuberculosis. Welcome, Dr. Shin. It's a pleasure to be here, Mark. Dr. Shin, you've done studies in Russia and Peru. They seem very different places, certainly diverse. Is this helpful or does it hurt your research? I think it's very helpful, you know, not just from the research standpoint, but, you know, from what you can say from the programmatic standpoint. You know, here we have Peru, which is a pretty poor country. I think it's considered lower middle income. They have much less in terms of health infrastructure compared to Russia, and yet the outcomes of MDR-TB and XDR-TB are excellent in both settings. You know, Russia represents a different system where there have been a lot of social and political changes that happened in the 90s that caused sort of a shock in terms of the health effects. But at the same time, there's a fair amount of resources. There are many trained physicians and hospitals. So there are two different places, but by publishing results on outcomes of MDR-TB and XDR-TB in both settings, I think it provides a more sort of compelling argument to say, look, you know, this can be done. These patients can be treated, and it's worth offering treatment to patients with XDR-TB instead of considering them to be completely untreatable cases. Are there differences in the characteristics of the populations in Peru and Russia? There are. There are. There are certainly social differences. In Russia, many of the patients are homeless. A lot of them have problems with alcohol use disorders. Many of the men have been in and out of prison. Whereas in Peru, we see more malnutrition. These are patients who may not have as much problems with substance use, but their sort of absolute standard of living may be lower. Well, in your research studies, how do you account for these variables comparing the two countries having these differences? Well, you know, there are many things that we can't measure. You know, it's difficult to compare the two cohorts head-to-head. And at a certain point, we even thought about whether we should combine the two cohorts and do the analysis on the entire cohort. There are certain things that you can measure, you know, like what is the baseline weight or who has an alcohol problem. But there are other, you know, sort of like essential characteristics of health services, you know, where are physicians better trained or more engaged? How often do you have stockouts of second-line drugs? And these things, you know, they're just so difficult to measure that in the end, we felt that the best way to do it was to just tell the Peru story and tell the Tomsk story separately. Now, could you describe the clinics that you work in, in terms of the laboratories and the clinical skills required and the resources dedicated specifically to tuberculosis, things like that? Sure, sure. 
I'll start with Peru. You know, in Peru, they have a pretty good TB system. In fact, you know, the WHO awarded Peru, you know, recognized it as sort of a model TB program. They have health centers scattered throughout the communities, and typically a TB patient will go to their health center every day and get their meds under direct observation at that health center. And if you have MDR-TB, say your sputum sample is sent off to a lab where they'll do drug susceptibility testing, and that might take anywhere from a month to three or four months to get the result. And in the meantime, you'll see a physician that's specialized in MDR-TB treatment to look over your clinical history and decide if you should start treatment for MDR-TB and if so, with what medications. So there's sort of a tiered system where you have your kind of primary health sites where the patients get their meds, and then you have a more sort of centralized system of uh, specialists that manage MDR-TB. Russia is similar. Russia has also health centers that are in the community, but one of the differences is that they have more emphasis on inpatient management. You know, so most of the TB patients in Peru will start treatment in, you know, like, you know, their local health center. But in Russia, most of them are actually admitted into a hospital where they start treatment. And then once they're sort of stable, they're released back to their community. Do you think that makes a difference whether they're inpatient or outpatient? It does. Again, you know, there's probably many immeasurables that we're not able to assess. But, you know, as a clinician working in both sites, I can say that there's pros and cons. You know, on the one hand, the patient's less likely to stop taking their medications. You know, you have them in their hospital. You can follow their side effects. They're probably going to accept the medications when the nurse comes around to give them their pills. But on the other hand, you have this sort of nosocomial setting where these strains of MDR-TB are intermingled with strains of susceptible TB, and patients probably are becoming infected and reinfected with drug-resistant strains in these hospitals. So there may be infection control implications. Does this have any relationship to the specific community living aspects? Well, you know, it does. I'd say that in Russia, the health system has been sort of established with this idea that inpatient care is best. But as they become more experienced with MDR-TB, our position with Russian policymakers has been, no, you know, let's start to move this out into the communities. You know, you can use community-based support, like, say, you know, lay health workers to deliver the medications. You know, the patients aren't going to sort of disappear off the face of the earth. And little by little, that's starting to become implemented. In Peru, you know, because the approach was ambulatory from the beginning, We've always had a community-based approach where we've trained lay health workers to go and do direct observation in the houses. What also remains largely unexplored is, you know, what's going on in the households in terms of transmission. You know, maybe there's a price of having these patients in the community instead of having them in the hospitals. So there, I think, are advantages and disadvantages to either scenario, but we haven't really yet gotten to the point where research is able to weigh, you know, what those relative risks and benefits are. If you have just joined us, you are listening to a special segment, Focus on Global Health, on ReachMD XM157. I am your host, Dr. Mark Nolan-Hill, and our guest is Dr. Sonia Shin, Assistant Professor of Medicine at Harvard Medical School. We are discussing successful treatment of multi- and extensive drug-resistant tuberculosis. Dr. Shin, when we talk about relationships between local non-governmental organizations and governmental officials, how important are these relationships in terms of your research and your success? I think they're crucial. How's that? 
Well, you know, when we started to work in Peru, for instance, we were coming across these patients who, who the community were calling chronic patients. You know, they like had chronic TB. And it wasn't known at the time, but really they had MDR-TB because they were just taking, you know, treatments and not getting better. Uh-huh. So we were sort of faced with this idea, like, should we just, you know, kind of set up shop and start to treat these patients as an NGO? Or should we work with the public health sector and the Ministry of Health and, you know, treat them in collaboration? In some ways, it's easier to go the first route because you manage everything yourself. You know, you can sort of have more control over all of the factors, you know, of both clinical management and programmatic activities. But in the long run, it's not a great option. You know, from the very beginning in both of our sites, the emphasis has been on working with the Ministry of Health because ultimately, they're the ones that are going to take these programs and assume leadership and scale them up to the national level. You know, you spoke about your research in Russia and Peru. How does the United States stand in terms of our programs for tuberculosis? Well, now the programs are extremely strong. And, you know, I will say that the United States had sort of a wake-up call in the early 90s when there was a pretty significant outbreak of multidrug-resistant TB in New York among HIV patients. At that time, you know, maybe there was even a little bit of complacency in the public health system for TB control where, you know, there was this feeling like, you know, there isn't TB really, you know, there's not a lot of TB. So the money in the TB systems was actually, you know, relatively low. When they uncovered this outbreak in New York City, the system had to respond with a huge influx of financial resources. And as a result, they actually contained the epidemic and did a, you know, an excellent job of increasing TB surveillance and control. But, you know, it did require sort of a, you know, a wake-up call on our own part to really sort of increase the resources and, you know, the attention paid to TB control in the United States. How does the research and the findings specifically that you discovered extend itself to other countries that are battling tuberculosis? Well, I think there's a couple lessons that, you know, we would hope to impart on other countries that are confronting MDR and XDR-TB. On the one hand, you know, maybe the biggest take-home message is this is treatable. There's been a lot of debate as to whether or not extensively drug-resistant TB is even treatable. And we're saying, you know, look, at least half, if not two-thirds of patients can be treated. You know, even with the sort of limited armamentarium of drugs that we have available today. So it's better not to give up, you know, before even trying and just, you know, do our best to treat these patients. On the other hand, I think that it calls for a considerable amount of introspection at the global level about the degree of resources that are being, you know, put forth to deal with this problem. If you think about the magnitude of MDR-TB, you know, with the numbers that you mentioned previously, the amount of resources that are going into infrastructure currently, you know, do you have the labs? Do you have the drugs? And then, you know, even in the long term, are there new meds in development? Are we going to develop new diagnostics? The money that's coming in is not adequate to confront this problem. So at the local level, we'd like to convince programmatic leaders not to become paralyzed, you know, by this overwhelming, you know, challenge of treating MDR-TB and just to go ahead and treat as aggressively as possible. But on the other hand, you know, we're hoping to also raise awareness that when you add up the numbers in terms of the number of people that need to be treated and the current status, certainly the amount of resources right now dedicated to the problem are woefully inadequate. Dr. Shin, on a personal note, I'm sure some of the listeners as well as myself are curious, how did you get into this research? 
You know, I was a medical student in 1996, and I was down in Peru. And, you know, we started to just kind of find these people in the community. And literally, the health centers there were saying, oh, yeah, we have like two or three. So we thought, well, maybe we have, you know, like maybe estimates of 50 or 60 people in the community. And as a med student volunteer, I went around from health center to health center just asking the workers for names of people who had failed previous treatments and just going and visiting these people and finding out, you know, what's going on, how are you doing? It was really sort of a, an incredible experience to be literally kind of uncovering this epidemic of more and more people sort of hidden away in their houses. They had given up, you know, hope on getting more treatment, so they weren't in the system. You know, they were just kind of like resigned to dying, and, you know, they were being told by their doctors, it's probably better for you to invest in a coffin at this point than trying to get more medical care. You know, these are the quotes from the patients. And, you know, so from the personal standpoint, I felt very compelled to try to do more to treat these patients. And as an organization as well, we felt like the right thing to do was to try to provide the same standard of care afforded to United States citizens to these Peruvian patients. It's very impressive that obviously you stayed focused from medical school on through your internship and residency to continue this interest and formal research as it is now. I think, you know, the work isn't done yet, (laughs) unfortunately, I guess, you know. Once we actually have, I think, you know, adequate resources to confront the immediate needs and also better investment in research to develop new products for diagnostics and treatment, then I can start to turn my attention to some other disease. (laughs) Dr. Shin, I want you to finally look in your crystal ball and tell me where we're going to be 5, 10, 15 years from now with respect to this problem. Well, I'd say that there are a couple scenarios. I think in the most optimistic standpoint, there are some promising new drugs in the pipeline. Diagnostics, instead of taking, say, four hours to diagnose MDR-TB, we should have a turnaround time of a couple of hours. If these technologies come through, you know, we really should be able to make a true meaningful dent on the treatment of MDR-TB, and hopefully the epidemic will be on a downswing. But a lot of it has to do with international commitment. If TB isn't prioritized as sort of a global public health emergency, I think with the current technologies that we have and the current infrastructure in most of the countries that are severely affected by MDR-TB, I can only see things getting worse. I want to thank our guest, Dr. Sonia Shin. We've been discussing successful treatment of multi- and extensive drug-resistant tuberculosis. I'm Dr. Mark Nolan Hill, and you have been listening to a special segment focused on global health on ReachMD XM157, the channel for medical professionals. Be sure to visit our website at ReachMD.com, featuring on-demand podcasts of our entire library. For comments and questions, please call us toll-free at 888-MD-XM157. And thank you for listening.